I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Batter everyone welcome back to a pot of their own this is episode 38 of a pot of their own i am allison mccaig and i am joined this week as i am most weeks by my lovely co-hosts linda surovich hi linda hi allison and maggie wiggin hi maggie hi allison so once again i feel like this is broken record at this point um we always say huh there's not much Mets stuff going on and then like everything happens at once right before we're about to record um so a few things uh happened all within the past like feels like 24 hours or so um that I feel like are good topics to discuss uh on the Mets front um we'll start off with some positive news because <laughs> I feel like you know balance is always good in life um Pakoda, the projection system of baseball prospectus, projected the Mets to win the NL East. So that's cool. <laughs> Yay, I guess. We won the off-season projections. Like, yeah, off-season, off-season projection, projection banners fly forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, so, get a, we'll just get a banner that says the Nats didn't replace Rendon. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Nats didn't replace Rendon. Uh, Braves didn't replace Donaldson. I mean, they did sign Marcelo Zuna to kind of get that bat in their lineup, but they didn't replace, like, Donaldson's third base position, really. Um, 
I guess there's still time if Brian or Arnado gets traded. Good Lord. Yes. Uh, and then I assume that the Mets will no longer be projected to be the NL East winners if an NL East yeah. team acquires either of those two players. Lower the banner. <laughs> Lower. I mean, Lower. To be fair, as it is, the Mets are projected to win by less than than less than a whole win. Yes. So it's it's a tight it's a tight race there. Yeah, they I mean as as predicted, as I think most like projection systems and reasonable people would predict, the top 4 teams are cl- clustered relatively close to each other and all of those um distributions overlap. Pakoda also has if you go look at baseball prospectus, highly recommend you buy a subscription if you haven't. They have the distribution curves for each team, and the four NL East teams have very much overlapping distribution curves. Um, I think, like, I don't think that 88 wins for the Mets, which is what they have, is an unrealistic projection necessarily, but I think it's unrealistic to think that 88 wins wins the NL East. Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, every every system is going to regress to the mean for the most part. So I think there's going to be distance between almost all of the, if you look at lots of the other divisions are similarly low balling the top teams and high balling the bottom teams, but for sure, like it's, it's going to be a 92, 93 minimum to win the NL East, I think. So how many wins did the Mets have last year? We should all know the answer to this oh, question. Was it 84? More than 81. Was it 86? That might have been a really optimistic. Wow, this is... I know. Because I'm like, that's not really that much of a Just boost kidding. from last year. I already knew the answer, and it was 86. So they're predicting them to be basically the same team? But a little less. better. Yeah. yeah. And that was what the bet's having, like, a historically bad bullpen, which yes. I can't see that being repeated. Well, if you look in, if so, um, I mean, Picota, like to be fair, all of us have some sort of uh, affiliation with baseball prospectus. So cards out on the table. We like them anyway, but they do a really good job of breaking down their projections and also kind of self critiquing. But one thing, if you have a subscription, which you should, um, when you break, like they break down every player and that's, I think where you'll see the biggest improvement from last year is the bullpen. They think, uh, Batances and Diaz are both going to have really, really good seasons, like sub three ERA kind of seasons, which would be amazing. <laughs> I would not turn it down. And it's, and that's just it. It's not like wild, like, Oh, where did they come up with that guy with that idea? Like these are both, that's reasonable. In the not su- super distant past, that's what they were doing. So you kind of see where it comes from. I don't know if you want to bank on it, though. No. But I don't know. Like, then the offense, because their offense was good the second half of the year. So, and that was with Nimmo being hurt for a good portion. I think he left in May and then didn't come back until September. So I think just a healthy Nimmo makes their lineup that much more better too. So it's true. Yeah. So sure. I and the thing is, yeah, there's also no like nine wins isn't unreasonable. Well, and that's a wild card number. Yeah. But I also think like there's no if you look at the lineup and injuries 
obviously can change that game right quick. But if you look at the lineup as currently constructed, there's no gaping hole. There's no there's no second pitcher. And I feel like the Mets in recent oh, years yeah. have run out a lot of second and third and sometimes fourth pitchers in that lineup. <laughs> so the fact that like, I mean, your bottom three other than the, like other than the pitcher are basically Cano, Ramos and Rosario. And that's really not bad at all, especially no. since Cano has every shot at, bouncing back although Dakota does not like him but um Rosario still perpetually seems on the verge of a real breakout and Ramos is the catcher and that's that's fine um but the for your bottom three that's not bad at all I would take that Ramos has off you might have multiple pitchers in the lineup but those would probably yeah. be the Sunday scary games again, or when Jacob DeGrom pitches. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's usually how that goes. I mean, I will take, for example, 4.4 warp out of Noah Syndergaard and a 2.75 ERA out of Edwin Diaz any day of the week and twice ah. on Sundays. Good Lord. Yeah, no, that's a good... And and that's another, I, I think, could be the big difference between another 86-win team and a playoff team uh, is Syndergaard. And, mm-hmm. you know, he I think reports of his demise have been greatly exaggerated. Um, but, like, he's absolutely a great candidate for a big, big bounce-back season because he has the stuff. We've all seen it. He certainly struggled as much as anyone with that stupid baseball, which, and like um, hovering over all of these projections, any projection system right now is the fact that nobody knows what the hell is going to be the baseball. Like, is it the, the, yeah, isn't that fun? Like guess which baseball it is. (laughs) Get like draw it out of a hat at the beginning of each game. Behind door number one, we won the shitty baseball. Behind (laughs) door number two, we have dead ball era baseball behind door number three. Uh, Meredith will be working forever, Doctor yes, Wills. Seriously, um, but ser- but even with you have to think that a, a guy working as hard as Syndergaard will um, will have further adapted to the messed up baseball. Like I, I would think that he, as much as anyone, would have improved just over the course of the off season from having worked with it and practiced around it. And I think that's, I, I would, I would take, I don't know if I would take the over on Noah from his projections here, but I would definitely take the over on his season last year. Like I think he's, I think he's going to have a a big bump. Yeah. So that'd be great. And Edwin Diaz too. I think he was bothered by the new ball too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm less like, Man, he was bad. Yeah. <laughs> his strikeouts were still there. His, which, uh, his were stuff was still, still there. It was just he would throw a stupid slider that would go 500 feet. Oh, and that was, it was just like this. The problem was so specific and strong that, like, he's got to kind of fix that. And I don't know if he can, but, like, if he does, awesome. And there's also, like, there's also the chance that even if Diaz is not good, he could still be much better than last year. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the thing. is like, he wasn't just bad last year. He was absolutely awful. Um, and, 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 and like, 
Yeah, but I still think, like, even if he is, like, not good, they still have uh, Lugo, they still have Brock, like, they're, they still have Justin Wilson, so the pieces are there to at least, yeah. you know, maybe not even be, like, a dominant bullpen, but at least a not awful one. Yeah. I feel and- like they need one of their no-name guys to not for, like, once ever. Yeah. Just one. Just yeah. one of the no-names has to not be the worst. Is that so much to ask? Apparently it is. Yes. 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 But, you know. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, like, I don't know. It it does, if nothing else, Bakota being high on the Mets does make me excited for, like, actual baseball games to start. Well, this is um, what we were talking about last week. Exactly. It's like everything was so depressing, and then we didn't have baseball. We didn't even have like fun in the sun picks on the team's Twitter accounts, and now we are awash in fun in the sun picks in the team's Twitter accounts. It is very nice. It there, is. There was one um, damper on the fun in the sun, however, of spring training. Everything is going womp. great. We got the Mets actually look pretty good on Bakota. Oh, look, pitchers and catchers are here. Everything is happy. But then we learned about um, the renovation to the um, the St. Lucie complex, which, first of all, isn't going to really be done until like May. But they're just like kind of ignoring that. Um But secondly, um, they showed this picture of like this gorgeous new clubhouse that they spent like millions and millions of dollars on. I think it was like 57 million or something. 57 was for the whole. Okay. The whole package. It was not a 57 million dollar. That would would be be kind of impressive. Wow. Gold plated (laughs) couches. Those were gold plated couches. Um, But yeah, but they spent. Like it would be comfy. They spent, a f- I mean, they spent a lot of yeah, money no, on the Yeah, no, it's like a million dollar room for sure. It is. Yeah. And it's like they posted this really nice picture of it on their Twitter account. But then it was like, oh, but they're not actually using this for the minor league season. This is only for the major league guys. And they said something like, um, this gives the minor league guys like, like an idea of what they have to work towards. And I was like, what the hell? Ew. Like, of course the Mets did something yucky. Like, you spent all this money and you're going to use it for, what, February? February, March? And that's it? Then the clubhouse is just going to sit empty for the rest of the year? It's so wasteful. And then just such a slap in the face. And it's also, like, to be clear, this is not an interpretation of their, or an assumption on the part of their, the team's intent. It is specifically something they explicitly said they are doing is is using it to kind of tantalize the St. Lucie Mets. Um, like they aren't motivated enough. Right. right. And, and like if as if minor leaguers aren't mistreated enough, like, oh, here's one other thing you don't get. Yeah. Yeah. Like they wouldn't figure like, oh, you know, being paid half of minimum wage isn't enough impetus to realize the greatest dream of my life i'm just gonna this is such a comfy couch i don't want to win at baseball anymore right like that's the thing that drives me nuts is like it's not even just like the whole like obviously anyone with eyeballs and like anyone that pays a modicum of attention to baseball knows the minor leaguers are already treated like shit it's not just that it's like do you not understand that like this every single guy in that room 
it's already his greatest dream to be a major league baseball player. Like, how do you not like, know I was that that's every dog little kid's before. dream? Yeah, like I was going to dog it before, but now I see a nice clubhouse and now I'm going to put the work in. No. Like, what, what, what kind of sense does that make? Awful. But and, you know, and it has not gone unnoticed by two former Mets minor leaguers who also saw time in the majors. I don't know if that's why they and also not with the team anymore, but PJ Conlin and Ty Kelly, Ty Kelly, who is absolutely my favorite retired baseball human at this point in time. He is he Twitter is a star Ty Kelly. Um, yes. But both of them called out the team on Twitter for um, just being such jerks about it and like just calling into question justifiably their awful logic as to why they think that this will matter other than just to be hurtful. Yeah, they both shared stories of like, you know, as if these very obvious things, as if these very like obvious things don't make it already like blatantly obvious that we're in single A because like PJ Conlin was like, as if we don't know we're in single A when we're six dudes crammed into a two bedroom apartment. Like, thanks guys. And then or like, like sharing well, two things of spaghetti. Yeah. And then like Ty Kelly posted a picture of like a very sad looking bologna sandwich. It was Ugh. like, this is what we ate in, in the minors. And they wouldn't even let us bring our own food because lunch was provided. And it was this sad bologna sandwich. Yeah. It was like a bologna sandwich, a go-gurt. It was very fire and like fest. a granola bar. Yeah, it was very fire fest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was exactly like that. And so, like, yeah, like, just come on. Could the Mets be any more, like, like callous? Callous and tone deaf. Like, they have to, like, you guys have to know that, like, people pay attention to this stuff now. Like, and that, like, labor relations are already not great. But, and, and, like, minor league baseball and major league baseball are, like, not getting along at the moment for many reasons. <laughs> well, and it's just, I mean, this is classic Wilpon bullshit. Like, yes. they would not know how to motivate. Uh, I thought I was going to come up with a really funny metaphor right on the spot, and I just did not. So they don't know how to motivate anybody. These are the people who shout at somebody to get over a knee injury and then are shocked when they're out for the season. Like, it's just, they fundamentally do not understand those, like, motivation and coaching, but they have decided that they do. And because they own the team, they can do that. It's, and it's, it's just... Sucks. It's well, a, I hate I saw it. one thing where it said like the re- the renovations cost like fifty seven million t- for the for this team, most of which was taxpayer funded. But then they said it would have cost only four million to pay the minor leaguers a living wage, and like priorities. Like, did you yeah. really need like this? wasteful clubhouse that you're only going to use six months of the year or could you have paid these guys so they're not eating bologna sandwiches on the road so like it, that have probably been sitting in the heat with bad mayonnaise on it that's the only thing I'm I'm picturing right now but there wasn't any mayonnaise or that I could see mustard on the sandwich it was okay, literally so even like dry deli items on packaged bread it was heartbreaking Ted Berg is somewhere losing his damn mind. (laughs) 
sandwich expert Ted Berg. But, but yeah, I think it's very telling that the Wilpons not only like obviously we already knew that they think that baseball players have problems with motivation somehow as if they aren't like the like elite athletes of the world and that means that they already have been motivated throughout their lives clearly or they wouldn't have even made it this far so that aside it's very telling that the Wilpons think that these people will be motivated by like fancy things because that's what the Wilpons are motivated by like yeah this is their track record like nobody should be surprised like you have the Blue Jays who are paying their minor leaguers and then you have the Wilpons who think their minor leaguers just aren't motivated enough so they don't deserve nice things yeah like rich guy billionaires who have no reason to be intrinsically motivated in any way because they were handed everything on a silver platter from day one of course they think that like motivation is based on like look at this shiny thing like <laughs> instead and of, of course like, they you know, also have done this while also having a uh, roster construction strategy that is heavily dependent on convincing minor leaguers to come here with no offer of job security yeah like that's half of their free agent acquisitions are guys like Devin Maserato they want to mess around with and like if this is how they are openly treating their minor leaguers, why would any of those guys want to be here? Right. Depressing. Unless I don't know why they want to be here anyway. Yeah. Unless it's your lifelong dream, like Porcello and Brock. Like, those are the only free agents we were attracting. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, yeah. Like, stop treating minor leaguers like shit. It's, it's, really, it's really awful to see as a fan to see your franchise do this. Not that it's surprising coming from them, but it's still shitty to see anyway. Yeah, it's the second day, or it was the first day of spring training. We didn't even have one nice day. Yeah, we couldn't have, like, one day of, like, feel-good, suns-out-guns-out picks without, like, the Mets doing something, like... Metsing. Metsy, yeah. Speaking of Metsy, and we might get into this more on the second half of the show when we have DB on and get their take on this... Um, but, um, we did want to announce some relatively breaking news on the pod. Um, just a few hours ago, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich of The Athletic, um, wrote another piece about the sign-stealing scandal, um, and much more detail about Carlos Beltran's role in it specifically. And, I mean, it's, I, it's a pretty damning piece. Um, basically, it, it kind of confirms what was already, like, out there that he was sort of the like ringleader is a strong word but the the guy who like sort of brought this scheme to fruition from elsewhere and said to the Astros well like, certainly we should yeah, be doing go this ahead. and certainly seems like he picked up some ideas oh, from yeah. the Yankees clubhouse yeah. that was that was drawn out pretty clearly yeah um, yeah it all it's Man, looks real bad for Beltran. Um, also, looks really bad for AJ Hinch, who yes. his his defense in all of this seems to be like, I couldn't stop my own players from doing something we all knew was illegal, and that's yep, that's kind of sad. Yeah, like, woof, buddy, woof. 
Lori Pooh, yeah. But who also looks really bad to me is Brody Van Wagenen. Oh, yeah. Beltran yeah. should never, never have been hired. Why? Like, a simple reference check. AJ Hinch is your, is your bestie, your buddy. You didn't give him a call. You didn't say, hey, you know, you guys were cheating in 2017. Is anything going to come out about Beltran? Oh, there is. Well, then we'll see you later. Does nobody check references anymore? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I feel like I have more scrutiny of like, like I'm applying to jobs right now. And I feel like they do more due diligence on like me, some random. Than yes. <laughs> managerial hires. I mean, this is the team that, that traded for JJ Putz without looking at his medical records. Yeah, fair enough. So let's just say like, I would a history buy the, there. Like yeah. JJ puts his medical records. I would buy the Mets doing something stupid, but not in this case. Not when we know AJ Hinch and Brody Van Wagenen are friends. I just, I don't buy that they didn't know any of this. I think they just thought it would go away. Yeah, that's um, what I think too. I think even Jeff Wilpon said it was when Beltran's name came out that changed their thinking. So they didn't care he was involved. They cared that his name came out. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. they absolutely knew. And but it was again, always again, about the back pages. Yes. Always. That's Everything. all they care about. But once again, you could have avoided this whole PR disaster if you just did your due diligence to begin with. Yeah. Like I'm sh- and like there was another article that came out in the Washington Post today saying basically everybody in baseball knew it was an open secret. Like um, anybody who played the Astros had to scout like how they call it the counter espionage tactics. Like if the advanced scouts would go out and in their report would try to come up with counter espionage tactics on how to this try is- to beat the Astros. This is so, all so you, stupid. Just let them wear yeah. earpieces. Ugh, we've got entire teams like playing spy games. Uh huh. So, like play baseball. Yeah. Well, baseball. that's what they said. That's what some teams said. They're like, we're getting too wrapped up in trying to like prevent cheating that we're not playing baseball. Yeah. And yeah. I think some teams probably did get in their own way and like got too wrapped up in the cheating. Maybe you know that led to some stuff, but. You know, Brody knew, the Wilpons knew, the Mets knew, and they did not care. And then this is what you get. You get more embarrassment. You get the Mets being a joke because they just, they can't, like we talked about this the last time, they can't avoid a PR disaster, even if they had neon signs and a map telling them how to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I'm going to, just really quickly, I'm going to read what I think is the most damning piece of this article, uh, because I know not everyone has an athletic subscription, but if you don't, you should get one. Uh, But I'm going to read just a small piece of it that I think is pretty damning. During the season, a small group of Astros discussed their misgivings, meaning their misgivings about the whole scheme. Brian McCann at one point approached Beltran and asked him to stop, two members of the 2017 team said. He disregarded it and steamrolled everybody, one of the team members said. Where do you go if you're a young, impressionable player with the Astros and this guy says, we're doing this? What exactly do you do? Beltran did not respond to a request for comment. You know, Beltran's statement looks really bad now, too. Um, cause he said like, oh, I've overprised myself on my integrity. You don't have any anymore. Sorry. It's done. Um, and also MLB 
investigated this. They knew this. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they said at least Beltran's not teams. covered by the union anymore. They nope. had they had a clear path to doling out some real consequences, and they didn't. And it, like MLB's handling of this whole matter has been so sloppy and slapdash. And I I just this didn't have to be so hard. Well, I mean, we could clearly see what the Astros think with JJ Re- or Josh Reddick tweeting out laughing gifts. Clearly, he's really upset that this has all come to light. Yeah, and all these, yeah, all these stooges that benefited from it are, you know, treating it like a big joke. And this article, the one thing about this article, like, I, I mean, if you want to be skeptical of it because of your understanding of Carlos Beltran and skepticism of media and stuff. I get that. Healthy skepticism is always good. But I accept this report on its face. The only thing that, you know, rings a little eh to me about this whole thing is all the other players and and people skirting responsibility by kind of being like, we were helpless to stop the great Carlos Beltran. You could have, any of you could have done something about it. Like, I get it. Carlos Beltran was the veteran of the clubhouse. He's a Hall of Fame. Well, now he's probably not going to get into the Hall of Fame, but he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. And I get that he's a big figure in that clubhouse. But you mean to tell me that, first of all, the manager is helpless to stop it? No, he literally has authority over him. Secondly, you mean to tell me that someone like Justin Verlander doesn't have yeah. clout in that clubhouse? Like, come on now. Give me the a The only person break. they said who tried was Brian McCann. Yeah. Like it's but, and moreover, any one of them could have not cheated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could have just not. Yeah. Just not, not done that. Like, that hey, was but I'm betting. Can you not bang the trash can? Thanks. Was that so difficult? Yeah. Could have just not. So, like, yes, like this is very damning of Carlos Beltran. I think that it's hard to dispute that him parting ways that he and the Mets parting ways was the correct thing to do at this point, given everything. But like to act like he is solely responsible is silly to allow other people to skirt responsibility for their role in this is silly. It's silly. Cause I, I don't know if the other report had come out um, during our last podcast when, you know, it was proven it was not just player driven Luna right. coming in saying, hey, you guys, code breaking? Come on. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. And, like, <sighs> obviously, like, like we mentioned before, this report is actually also pretty damning of the Yankees organization because Beltran and McCann are the two that were coming from the Yankees, and that's where they learned it, and MLB is not going to investigate the Yankees. Yep. So there's that. Um... But we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to chat with DB Firstman. So stay tuned for that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And welcome back, everyone. 
Um, for the second half of the show this week, we have a very special guest, um, baseball writer and now author of a brand new book um, called Hall of Name, Baseball's Most Magnificent Monikers, uh, D.B. Firstman. Welcome, D.B. Hi, thanks for having me. Great, great to be here. Um, so your book is about baseball names, which is something that we all really love and, uh, and think is really cool. Um, what inspired you to do like this specific book about this specific topic? Um, I've always been kind of a word nerd and I've been always, uh, I've been always interested in names and etymologies of names and, you know, having a name like Firstman is, is it's ripe for making fun of and of course there's a history behind it and um i was i've always been drawn to words and names and i i have a very fertile mind for puns and spoonerisms and things of that nature and i play competitive scrabble so i'm always around words and names and things of that nature and about seven years ago when i started my blog value over replacement grit one of the features that I had in it, a regular feature, was sort of the most memorable names in baseball history. And it featured not necessarily the best players of all time, but those were the best names. And I, I basically broke down how they got their name, the etymology of their name, a little bit about their careers, funny facts about the players themselves. And I I got a kick out of it, and it got it got – good press you know i got good responses back from a lot of people who were reading the blog at that point and i thought to myself you know flash forward about you know a year and in, into my blog and i bring the topic to a book publisher a couple of book publishers and i say to them you know i have an idea for a book i'd like to write about baseball players with great names and they and they basically told me more than one of them told me personally we love the topic but but you know it's just not going to sell and this was before the the um self-publishing world really exploded so i sort of put the the concept of the book and the and the desire to write the book aside and I focused on my blog and I wrote, you know, other things and I wrote for, you know, Saber and Baseball Prospectus and a few other places. And flash forward about six more years and it's 2018 and I really feel like I want to write something, you know, long, long form, you know, and really put some effort into it. And um, I thought that it was time to resurrect the names book. And now that the self-publishing world is so broad and so inviting, uh, I, I didn't have to go through a niche publisher. I could go and do this on my own. Uh, so that's basically the gist of how the book got started. It, it was really just a, a feature of my blog and it became something that I just said, you know what, I can find a hundred names that really tickle my fancy and probably have stories behind them. And it, the book is really not just, you know, I'm not trying to poke fun at the names necessarily. I want to I educate people about the etymology of their name, you know, what, you know, whether there's some sort of a geographic aspect to their name or historical aspect to their name 
and I want to give the, the story of their life, you know, but beyond the name. So it's not, it's not just, it's not making fun of the name. It's celebrating. It's supposed to be a, a celebratory book of the great names in baseball history. I feel Does like baseball include... more than any other sport has great names. <laughs> you, you kind of associate baseball with like fantastic names. Does this include nicknames as well? Um, I stayed away from the nicknames for the most part because a that book has already been written. Uh, there's there's a book out there uh, basically called Baseball Nicknames, and it had it's basically an encyclopedia of all the great names, uh, all the great nicknames out there. Um, I just decided to go with the given names and uh, either their given names or what their, um, what their, some, some players went by their middle names. And so I used that also. I tried to stay away from nicknames. So you won't see Catfish Hunter. You won't see Blue Moon Odom. Um, it's you won't even the see- incredible quality of baseball names that, you don't even have to dip into. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice problem to have. It's like too many amazing names. Yes. So uh, I, I I managed, there's been about 19,000, 18,000 players in major league baseball history. I started out with a hundred names and I chose the names based on um, whether they were, alliterative or melodious or scatological or just fun to say. And I chose players whose careers had already ended, figuring that they would have the most detail of their life already written and accessible, you know, either in book form or on the web. So basically, this is a book about 100 100 players from 1870 through, let's say, 2015. So it spans the eras, it spans the genres of, of name types, and uh, it's it's got a little something for everybody. We've got we've got the etymologies of their names. We've got a baseball bio for each player. We've got anagrams of their names. We've got um, not to be confused with like what does their name sound like? If it sounds like a different person, let's not get confused about who those two people are. Um, and little factoids and trivia about the people involved. So I think it has a little something for everybody. And I think I've tried to thread the needle between making it a humor book and a reference book. Um, I think I think I've managed managed to do that. That's really cool. Is there any team that's like disproportionately represented amongst the cool names? I wouldn't say team. I would think more of the era. Um, back, maybe maybe it's just a bias that we have nowadays, considering that names go through cycles of popularity. Like um, I mentioned in my introduction that Madison, as a girl's name, really didn't take off until the movie Splash came out in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. But it, and so... Um, my mother's name, Beatrice, was a very popular name in the 1920s. But, you know, very few, very few women are named Beatrice now. Lots of little um, girls, though. Lots uh, of, there's yeah. lots of Beatrix is my daughter's age, like little, little. Um, I think ah. it's, having a, it's having a renaissance. Okay. Well, I, I, I think for me, the, the essence of the, the, the real um, 
gold mine for names was probably in the 1910s and 20s. You just had you had a lot of um, immigration from different countries. You had you had so much going on in in America with people emigrating and then ending up playing baseball, whether they're coming from Canada or 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 Russia, or you've got you've got people coming from different parts of the world and settling in America and becoming part of the American fabric and, and becoming baseball players. And so that, you know, that aspect lends itself to some, some creative name generation. That's awesome. Um, can you, is, is it a spoiler if I ask you if there are any Mets represented? I, uh, you can, it won't be a spoiler. We have Lasting's Millage in there. Oh, that's ah. a good one. That's a good one. And I will, I will, I will, I will tell you that Lasting's got his name because his, he was, he was told that his mother basically said, this would be my final child. <laughs> <laughs> <Last>. <laughs> So that's how he got his name, Lasting's Village. That's fantastic. Um, yes. What's your favorite baseball name for a current active player? Oh, God. Um, put me on the spot here. Sorry. Wow. Uh, <laughs> 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 or just an exceptionally good one. What's something in like our 95th percentile of names? Wow. Um, well, I know Bruce Dahl Graterall has been getting a lot Bruce of... Bruce Dahl Graterall, whose name anagrams to burglar or trades. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Fantastic. that's Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. So every every player I profile has an at least one anagram thrown in there just for the you anagram hounds you. <laughs> Um, so Bruce Graterell is is a fun one, and um, there was a, um, a there were a couple of players who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Gift Nagope was a infielder for the Pirates, and a couple of years ago, and he was, I believe, from India, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, think I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. So. That you know, he was the gift that kept on giving. So <laughs> fantastic. Um, so what has the writing process been like for this book? I know you touched on it a little bit, but were there like challenges you didn't expect, or what was it like going from more shorter form baseball writing to this longer form? Well, I, I suppose long form might be the wrong the wrong term to, for me to use because. There was a compartmentalization of of project here. Each of the profiles was its own little study, and it it required me to access places like Ancestry.com for their lineage if they happen to have you know records on Ancestry.com. You know, I wanted to know about their parents and and their siblings. Did they have odd names? Um, I also looked on newspapers.com for, for records um, regarding their, their lives and, you know, whether they served in, in the war and things of that nature. Each of, the, each of the players I profiled was their own little 
own little term paper, as it were. And uh, there were, you know, so I had a compartmentalization process, you know, and I was also thinking of how could I organize these names into groups? And so I have a group of names that are, you know, based on alliteration. I have a group of names that are based on, they sound dirty, you know, Johnny Dickshot, Jack, <laughs> Jack Glasscock, Rusty Kuntz. Uh, you know, so, uh, so I, I, I set up my, my, my thought process for each of these players is its own little entity. And I go through the same process. I look for, you know, I'll look for a Wikipedia page on them. I'll look for what was really helpful to me was that the um, Society for American Baseball Research, Sabre, has a baseball biography project where Sabre members write up profiles of various players and executives and umpires and people or people in the game. And there's over 5,000 entries in this online biography, in this online project. So when I couldn't find a biography, either, you know, in, in a book or on Wikipedia or, or rent, you know, very, very accessible kind of information, I turned to the Baseball Bio Project and found information there that, you know, was quite detailed and quite, you know, quite extraordinary in terms of its amount of research. And I pulled from there uh, a lot of the details of their lives and their, their, their both, their, you know, their careers on the field. So that was the, the, um, a lot of the input that I had for each of these players. Um, then it was just a question of us, you know, arranging them alphabetically and then within groups and then sort of putting them into 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 order in this book and I also had to get um I had to I wanted to get some photos in there so I had to go through the baseball hall of fame and I had a couple of friends who worked for uh secondary baseball card companies who were willing to give me images to use in the book so um, so it's a, it's a multifaceted approach to, to, to the research process. There was a, there were a lot of plates spinning at the same time. Well, this all sounds awesome. We're big bibliophiles on this, uh, on this podcast. So I know we're all very excited to, to read this book and I'm actually in awe of anybody who writes a book because it just seems like just a ton of work. So I'm in awe that of the amount of work and the amount of writing that it takes to put it together. Mm -hmm. But um, so, but what brought you to baseball writing to begin with? Okay, for that we have to go all the way back to my childhood. Um, my parents were divorced when I was two. My father would come over. Um, I lived with my mother. My father would come over on weekends, plop himself down on the couch, turn on the TV, and turn on the Yankee game. And I learned very quickly that if I wanted to relate to my father, it was going to be through baseball. So I quickly became a Yankee fan, even though we lived only 10 minutes away from Shea Stadium. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah that, that was sort of sucky, but, you know. I suppose for a parent's love. We for a parent's love, it. yes. yes. We can overlook We it. can make an exception. 
And my, my father had the unique skill of whenever we would go to a ball game and we, we would never buy tickets in advance. We'd always go on the day of the game and pick up tickets. And back in the, this was in the, the mid to late seventies, Yankee stadium, the original, the original Yankee stadium had pillars and columns, you know, in the, in the stands and, we invariably got placed behind a column. So, <laughs> my father had the unique ability to get a ticket right behind the column. Uh, anyhow, uh, flash forward, I, I, I was a athletic administration major in, in college. I wanted to grow, go into the business side of sports. That didn't quite work out. I ended up being a career civil servant for the city of New York, but I always loved baseball. And I always thought I had something interesting to say about the game. And back in, I believe it was 2004, MLB.com started offering uh, fans the opportunity to post their own blogs on MLB.com. Now, you had to pay MLB.com for the privilege of them hosting your blog on their website. And so uh, I think it was like $50 for a season. And so I, I put a, a blog up there and it was called Diamonds Are for Humor. And um, it was it was just sort of, you know, random, you know, random quotes or random um, images from from photos that I that I captioned in different ways or, you know, did you see this funny play that happened in the Cubs game and things of that nature? Or I wrote, I wrote songs about baseball players, you know, so there was, that you were, a, you were a one person baseball Twitter. Uh, you, you, before you Twitter, were there yes. before it was Twitter. Before Very it was impressive. Twitter. Yes. Um, and so that went on for a couple of years and then I bounced to a few different other, um, blogs. I wrote for the Bronx Banter site. I wrote for a place called the Baseball Toaster. Um, and then in 2011, I branched it on my own and I started Value Over Replacement Grit. And that lasted for seven years until I started writing the book. And so the, the blog's been on hiatus. I've been looking to get back into it. You know, once the once the book is finally out there and people enjoy it, um, I I feel like I want to take a break from from book research and writing and get back into blogging. Um, so that was that's basically my, my story of my writing career. So we're gonna switch gears a little bit and talk about um, some topical baseball topics since you know you just mentioned you're getting back into blogging and so we figured we'd loop you in on and get your takes on some recent baseball news um so it's it's now february and i feel like we've reached the out we're out of things to talk about portion of the off season <laughs> and so rob manfred has to like fill the void with like ridiculous things that he's proposing to do to mess up the game and so his latest uh proposal is a change to the playoff format whereby a more teams would make the playoffs and b teams would get to pick their playoff opponent the high c teams would get to pick their playoff opponent so i was wondering what your thoughts were on that well i i think rob manfred has been watching the bachelor a little too long um <laughs> 
Well, he's definitely not watching <laughs> baseball. So, I mean, what's he supposed to do this time? Which, which team will get the rose? Let's see. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I I already think the the regular season's long enough. And now the, he's going to extend. It sounds like he's going to extend the playoffs. And the season doesn't end till the end of the, the playoffs don't end till the end of October as it is now. And so it sounds like there's going to be an extra level of, of playoff teams and playoff games. And the season, who wants to watch baseball in the, in the second week of November where, you know, the temperature is 35 degrees and people are wearing mittens and, you know, <laughs> it's, Baseball is a summer sport. Let's try and play as much of it in the summer as we can. And frankly, I think the extra layers of playoffs and the playoff teams just waters down the regular season more. Um, I think that there, there really needs to be further incentivization of winning your division, winning, um, not, not just sneaking in via a wild card or having the second best record in your division or, 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 or some such. Um, it's, it's, there has to be some, some real motivation for performing well during the season. The season is long. Let's, let's really, you know, let's not water the regular season down. Let's keep, you know, the, the one game wild card is pretty, a, yes, it's random, but it's really exciting. That one game is is truly exciting, you know, except, you know, if they happen to have a blowout. But for drama, you've got, you've got it built in in that one game playoff. And I don't know, I, I, I feel like, you know, if they – Offer it up to seven, te- seven teams in each league. Now you're getting into 14 out of 30 teams that are making the playoffs, and you're bound to have it a, a year where a team with a rec- with a losing record makes the playoffs, and that that's just anathema to me. Yeah, you know. people on Mets Twitter have been saying like the 2014 Mets would have made the playoffs in this format, which. Um, if you, they were really bad. Yeah. yeah. Listeners of this podcast know, think back on the 2014 Mets for a moment. That was not a good baseball team, folks. That was a pretty bad was baseball that team. Opening, was they that had a strong Dylan second G. half. Yeah. Dylan G was the opening day starter, I Dylan think. Dylan G year. was the opening day starter. Play, playoff yeah, That's Mets. all you need to know about the 2014 Mets. Uh, but yeah, I agree with what you said, DB, about like watering down the regular season because I think like something that's special about baseball and makes it unique to other sports is the length of the regular season and how like and how it's a marathon and not a sprint so and I think I think you also don't want to you know when you when you get into October and November you're getting you know you have basketball starting up you have Mm -hmm. hockey starting up you have the nfl you know three or they're into like week seven or eight of their season you've got a lot of competition for your eyeballs i would i would i would want to focus the eyeballs more you know directly on a shorter playoff run and really reward teams that are uh, actually doing well as opposed to 
gee, we're at 500 at the All-Star break. Do you think we should go and get a player so we can be five games over 500 and maybe make the playoffs? But I also think, like, it runs the risk of the opposite, which is something I sort of feel like we're seeing. There's a lot of teams that are, you know, several games over 500 in the, you know, at at the halfway point. But instead of going out there and getting better and really competing for the playoffs, they're like, oh... The the first place team has too big of a lead. It would only be the wild card. We don't want to trade prospects for a wild card. And I feel like the competition is already starting to kind of to peter out a little bit um, just because it's not really seen enough as a victory to make it into the postseason at this point. Like it's it's like not worth fielding the best possible team for a playoff chance and that seems that seems terrible i mean like, you wasn't definitely it the want phillies? better yeah, yeah wasn't it the phillies who were too scared to face the dodgers so they they just said we're not even gonna try yes <laughs> yes last season the phillies at the at the deadline they were within striking distance of the wild card as, as were the mets um and the phillies decided the dodgers that the, the our path to the World Series is too is too hard, and it goes through the Dodgers, and we basically don't care. And then the Nationals ended up being that wild card team instead, and the Nationals won the World Series. So, mm-hmm. and now the Dodgers are only are only a bigger team to get through this year. <laughs> Yeah, they should, get an auto- they should get an automatic buy into the National League Championship Series. Yeah, seriously, can't argue it. I mean, if nothing else, it's nice to see a team Go playing to it. win, a team that want, that likes to have good players on its roster. That's <laughs> that's becoming a rarity nowadays. What I mean, that could have been the Red Sox, but they chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. They <laughs> won the World Series two years ago, decided that it wasn't worth it, and that we're just going to be bad now for no reason. Uh, well, not because, no our, because our fans can look at that 2018 trophy for another few years and still feel halfway decent about it. Yeah, but do they? Because now they're kind of tied to the cheating. So is it yeah, the same feeling? Yeah. Yeah. I don't do they know. still get the same warm fuzzies about it? I don't know. Hmm. I Good don't know. point. Yeah, and we were we were talking in the first half of the show about the new report that came out about Carlos Beltran's involvement in the Astros sign stealing scandal. Um, so I was wondering what your take is on this DB as a as a, a non Mets person, because obviously as Mets fans we have takes about this. But I'm wondering what you think about it. Well, I, I will I will let you in on a little secret. Um, in terms of who I listen to on a regular basis, it's Gary Keith and Ron. Yay! Uh, Yay! <laughs> I prefer the Mets broadcast to the Yankees broadcast if I have to watch a New York-based team. So uh, the Beltron news, um, my God, this the, he he has a Hall of Fame resume, or he had a Hall of Fame resume, and to hear this kind of stuff where he is. If you believe AJ Hinch, he he sort of almost bullied AJ Hinch into say into going along with this, um, and I I I just don't know. You 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 heard the stories of Carlos Beltran being a good influence on younger players and a suitable 
future manager. And now you hear this come out and it puts all of that, all of the prior, you know, you know, thoughts and feelings that you had about the, the person who Carlos Beltran is, you know, he, he presents himself as a, a reasonable, a responsible human being and a responsible, you know, father and husband. And, and then you get between the lines and you find out, wait a minute, he's, he's the actual ringleader of this, of this cheating scandal. Um, and, you know, to the point of saying, well, Hey guys, you're you're doing your wrong. You know you have to you have to get with the times here in terms of how you go about stealing signs. So it really puts a damper on my my opinions of of Baltron, both as a player and as a person. Um, you know, because what what else was he doing during his career that might have been was was he was he stealing signs as a player? For all those years, did he did he have some sort of system? Was he was he checking you know the catchers? Was he taking a peek at the catchers you know <laughs> um, catchers mitt and lower regions for for a signal? I, I don't know what he might have been doing during his career. Now that we found found out what he's doing in his later career to influence y- younger players. Yeah, I don't. I just feel like. So much of this just, and this is obviously like speculation on my part, this isn't, you know, something that's been proven in these reports, but so much of this just feels like the desperation of a man who has a Hall of Fame career but no rings and desperately wants one and just will do whatever it takes. Uh, good point. Yeah, I... I, I, it's not, it's not, you think of all the great players who never, never won a ring or never, you know, at least Beltran's been in, had been in the playoffs, but he don't didn't remind have... us. Yeah, we don't, yeah, we won't talk about that. Okay. Uh, right. Oh, it's, it's, it is really a shame because it does, it, it makes you, it makes you question all the things that, Carlos Beltran has always carried with him with his reputation um, of, you know, just the quality of his character. And then it kind of makes you start to think like, well, who else has a really good reputation? <laughs> like who else is, is going to break my heart? I mean, you know, is, is Curtis Granderson cooking up no. meth on the weekends? Like what's, <laughs> this, what's next? But like I said earlier, um, Beltran's statement kind of rubs me the wrong way now, knowing what's come out. I have it here. Over my 20 years in the game, I've always taken pride in being a leader and doing things the right way. And in this situation, I failed. As a veteran player on the team, I should recognize the severity of the issue and truly regret the actions that were taken. So he's saying, like, other people were doing it and I should have stopped it as a veteran. Not I was the ringleader bullying people into doing this. So even, like, his apology statement is now, like, hollow and kind of a lie. So, I don't know. Like like you said, my whole view of him is completely changed now. You wonder, you wonder if he wrote his own statement or he had his PR firm write it for him. Yeah. Right. Well, he definitely didn't have the Mets PR team write it because Ew. there weren't any spelling errors. <laughs> yeah. Lord knows. <laughs> 
the Mets the Mets PR would have been like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Something happened. <laughs> Tell us more. There was a wild boar. It was the wild boar. <laughs> <laughs> don't look it out. Blame it on the boar. Um, my not my not injured while hunting wild boars shirt uh, has a lot of people asking questions already answered by my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we are going to close out the show like we do every week with walk off wins where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise DB firstman. What is your walk off win? Uh, I actually have two. One is personal in that the advanced review copies for my book went out this week. Woo! Yay. Yay! So we should hopefully uh, get the manuscript finalized. And uh, we're still shooting for a mid-March uh, publication date. Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, other online retailers. So we're looking forward to that. And my other walk-off would be February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. I'm happy for that day because that's when the the Valentine's chocolates are 50% off. Heck yes. 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 Good, good walk-off wins. That's amazing. I love love half-off Valentine's Day chocolates. They taste so much better when they're cheaper. They do. They do. Even even if you don't have a Valentine, you have the chocolates. Exactly. Also, scientifically, the Reese's hearts are the optimal Reese's shape. This is, this is known. No, that is true. I, I, I'll, I'll have to agree with that take. That's a good take, Maggie. Underrated it's science. take. Um, it. Maggie Wiggin, what is your walk-off win for this week? All right, this is this is kind of an easy one in some ways, and um, not my my most creative walk-off win, but it's pitchers and catchers reporting. Yay! <laughs> and as we were as we were bemoaning last week, it's. It's just been kind of a like a morally brutal off season. Like just a lot of the ugliness of the sport has been on full display. Um, but but now there's baseball back. Like last week I was complaining that there was all the terrible with no baseball and now we have the baseball. And it's not it's not real baseball yet. It's not even real fake baseball yet, but there are there are major league players reporting to their required locations at the stated time. And that is really all I need at this point. I'll need more next week, but that's next week's problem. For now, I just, pitchers and catchers reported, you guys. We made it. We made it through a a truly grueling off season between the Beltran stuff and the Steve Cohen stuff. And it's just been, but now we get to see Noah Syndergaard's hair flowing in the wind with his shirt off. So, I mean, I'm not complaining about that. And, and by the way, did you happen to notice he has a little bit of a beer belly? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is is classic Mets. The Mets rock the dad bod at all life stages. And you know what? We don't fault them for it. Good on them. Win baseball games with it. That's, that's what I have to say. Noah Syndergaard not um, in the best shape of his life, but Jay Reese Familia supposedly in the best shape of his life. So we'll see. I will say um, where what he lacks in in body, he makes up for in lack of hairline. <laughs> yeah, his hairline's something else. Uh, time to go no, for the uh, time to go for the intentional shaved head look. 
It's uh, <laughs> it's there. It's time. Poor Noah. Sorry, Noah. We love you. Yeah. Linda Servich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Well, mine kind of ties into that and kind of ties into something we mentioned earlier, which was Yohannes Cespedes. And oh, we love him. Yes, like him tweeting out the hype video. It's like, all right, like dude's hitting 50 dingers. I'm ready to go. I'm going to run through a wall for you. Like, I just forgot how much fun of a player he was. And uh, I've missed that. And just the thought of him and Pete hanging back to back dingers at City Field, like, it gets me so pumped for the season. And, you know, just knowing everything, like, he's been through and had to go through to, like, get back to even just swinging a bat. Like, good for him. Like, he fought a boar and won. Like, you go, <laughs> I'm not sure he technically won that one. He's alive. <laughs> Maybe it was a he fought the boar and the boar won. That was a song. <laughs> <laughs> but he's but, alive. Uh, he's alive. He's a fight another day. Balls, so. he's and, he, and he's relatively inexpensive this year. Yes. Yeah. Now. Which, yeah, which we know the Will Pines all care about. So. <laughs> So I don't see a downside here. I'm just ready for give me all the Cespedes singers and I hope he's healthy and I just want to at least see one. Just just one. That's all he asked for. Anything else is gravy. But if I get one, I'll be happy. I um I subbed for Chris McShane on uh on Amazing Avenue Audio the show this week and I gave my hot take to Brian and I will give it again on this podcast now, which is that I think A, Yoannis Cespedes has more war in uh, 2020 than Jed Lowry and B, oh. I think it is greater than one war. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, it's not that impressive if you think that Jed Lowry may not play any baseball games at all this year. I think he might not, but I think but, uh, Cespedes is going to have greater than one war. That is my take. All right. I'll, take that. Would love I'll, to I'll sign it. up for that. I'll sign up for that. Um, my walk-off win for this week um, is not baseball-related. Um, it, it it involves the fact that Parasite won Best Picture at the Oscars, uh, which I am super pumped about. Um, I saw Parasite. I made, like, a last-minute game day decision uh, to go see Parasite. Michael and I went to see it on, um, on Sunday, like, before the Oscars on Sunday afternoon. I was like, you know what? Like... I've really been wanting to see this movie. Like we, we, the last time we went to the movies, we decided between Parasite and 1917 and we, we opted for 1917, which I enjoyed, but this movie I loved. And so I went to see it. I loved it. And I was like, oh man, this movie was really good. And then I was sitting at home just absentmindedly watching the Oscars while I was doing other things. And I definitely did not expect it to win best picture. And it did. And I was so excited. It is a great movie. You guys need to see it. Um, if you are like kind of uh, cringy slash like queasy when it comes to violence, you might want to skip this one because there are some pretty violent scenes in it. But it's a really powerful film uh, about, you know, the <laughs> the ills of capitalism and uh, class warfare. Yay, um, class warfare. Yeah. Um, but it's about, you know, the, the desperate things that people will do when the system you know, works against them and works them into poverty. Um, and it's really powerful and well acted and just an incredible screenplay, incredibly shot, just 
fantastic movie, my favorite movie of the year by far. Um, and I saw Little Women yesterday, too, and I actually really liked that one, too. So uh, two good movies in the past two days, but I'm really glad that Parasite got the best picture when the first non-English uh, language film uh, to win best picture in Oscars history. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that's my walk-off win for the week. Um, so DB Firstman, thank you so much for your time and for coming on today. We really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, and where can our listeners find your book to pre-order slash order it once it comes out? And where can they find you otherwise on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, I am Dianagram, D-I-A-N-A-A-G-R-A-M, Dianagram. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at DB Firstman. You can find my book mid-March at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, I don't know if I'll be in brick-and-mortar bookstores, but we're going to try. Um, maybe if there's enough uh, enough of a groundswell, it will make the brick-and-mortar bookstores if they still exist. Um, so that's where it'll find the book and look for it mid-March. Fantastic. And while you are waiting for db's book and the name of the book again is called hall of name baseball's most magnificent monikers while you're waiting for that you can get all of your mets news and content at amazingavenue.com you can follow amazing avenue on all the social medias facebook twitter and instagram at amazing avenue you can follow this show on twitter at a pot of their own you can follow each of us on twitter i am at petite phd where are you linda i'm at linda servich and you maggie at Maggie162. Please rate and review the show on iTunes, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing Avenue Audio. Check out our whole suite of shows. They are all fantastic. The original music to the intro and the outro to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets, and don't forget, there is no crying in podcasts.